Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the QB Spotlight Podcast. As always, you can find us on various podcasting platforms, but primarily on podcast.apple.com, Apple Podcasts. You can find us there as your primary podcast streaming platform. Ooh, got kind of a tongue twister there, podcast, podcast. Uh, You guys know what I'm trying to say. Uh, As always, uh, I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the guru behind QB Spotlight, Mr. Stephen Hamner. I am Eric Henry of uh, SB Nation. Steve, how's it going, my man? Man, all, all good here, E. Uh, you know, me and Eric were just talking um, right before we were recording about our our weather. You know, I don't know if anyone knows uh, knows this from listening to our podcast or Eric's uh, mistress podcast, the, the CUSA podcast, or even his his uh, Shield Bowl podcast, but I think he is a, a weather expert. I think we always talk about <laughs> weather on these podcasts. <laughs> It's not as if I'm a weather expert. I'm just trying to rub it in you guys' face. It's typically a lot warmer where I'm at than where the majority of this listening audience may be. Nine months out of the year, it's typically a lot warmer. So I apologize uh, for doing that, uh, you know, like without any shame. But uh, with that being said, man, it is, uh, you know, dude, it's 60 something degrees here. And, you know, dude, I've gotten soft. I, I've gotten soft for for the listeners of the podcast. I Completed my graduate studies up in Chicago. I may have mentioned I had a time or two on the pod. And Steve, one of the things that drove me back, I don't know if I ever told you this story. Uh, I graduated, you know, and I was I was in the, the job market looking for a job. And there was a stretch. So this is uh, February heading into March, right? Mm-hmm. And anyone who, who has been in the Midwest knows that, you know, at that wintertime, man, it gets dark. And this isn't, you know, hyperbole. It gets dark at night at like 410. You know, like the sun sets stupid early up there. So you walk out of work or walk out of wherever you're at, 445, it's pitch black, right? Uh, and there was a stretch, man, coming off a of winter in which like you're only getting like five, six hours of sunlight as is, that it was 39 degrees, overcast and rainy for 24 straight days. Mm. So not quite cold enough to snow, just that cold rain coming down on you. And, and mind you, I'm in Chicago, so I didn't bring a car. You know, so I got to walk to the train and it's just that cold rain overcast sky coming down on you. And I was like, you know what? It's time to get back home. <laughs> I, I do know we have some listeners up there. And for the listeners that don't know, whenever nine times out of 10, whenever me and Eric were getting together in Florida, he is coming with a cutoff shirt, usually <laughs> UCF. We've got a backwards hat on and he's ready to kick it. Uh, so I can only imagine um, how, how you felt up there uh, and the attire you, you had to uh, you had to wear as well. Dude, it got like in the 30s down here a couple weeks ago, and I'd forgotten what it was like to layer. Because like when I when when you would come, uh, you know, from outside of Chicago, and or even like you'd give in the morning, right? Like as you mentioned, as you mentioned, I'm typically in a, you know sleeveless hoodie. Uh, I want to shout out Steve because Steve is actually the one who put me on the sleeveless hoodie. So he tried to throw me under the bus there, but he was the guy I saw in the sleeveless hoodie most of the time in Florida. But nevertheless. Um, I dude, I just throw on a sleeve and send some shorts. I'm out the door. Yep. It doesn't matter if I'm going to check the mail. I'm running up the street. I, I that's all I got to do. Yep. If you're in Chicago, man, you got to put on like it's a 10, 15 minute process to get dressed to go out the door. Mm. So, uh, so, so that's that's what it was like, man. But uh, before we we uh bore our listeners to death with weather talk, one other thing I, I want to ask you, man, just a quick banner here. And, and for the listeners, I apologize. This is this serves not only as our podcast, but a chance for me to catch up with my buddy Steve. Something yeah. I think I've asked you and maybe of of interest for listeners. Yeah. Who are your top five quarterbacks growing up, man? We gotta do a couple top five lists uh-huh. as we uh, 
as, yep. as you know, we go to the offseason, man. So top five quarterbacks growing up. So uh, I'll, stick, I'll stick with NFL for right now. Is that yeah, NFL? NFL, okay. yeah. Uh, so so by far, Brett Favre, number one, okay. favorite, uh, hands down. Um, number two, we're probably going with Drew Brees just because he was a, a shorter quarterback. Uh, and I was a shorter quarterback, so growing up, I was able, always able to, uh, you know, look uh, look up to him. Number three, um, it, so I think Tom Brady is the best quarterback to play. Uh, doesn't mean he's necessarily my favorite, but I would probably put him at least number three. Uh, it's crazy we're still watching him just because he's so freaking good. It, it, it's it's it was almost you know it still is like must watch TV just to watch him play. Oh man, let me, uh, you, you go ahead and, and you give the listeners uh, a few of yours so I can think about my favorite. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I want to be fully transparent here. I'm not talking about best and I'm not talking about even myself, you know, playing high school football and playing a little bit of college football. I'm talking about you first get that instruction of football and you're a kid and you're falling in love with the game and you just want to watch, you wish football was on 24, 7, 365. Um, you know, you and I are roughly the same, same age. I'm a little bit older, but we're roughly the same age. So like, I fell in love with Drew Brees at Purdue. I remember just watching him just sling it. Uh, but if we're going NFL, if we're going NFL, Drew Bledsoe. Okay. I was a huge Drew Bledsoe fan. Growing up here in the Sunshine State, Dan Marino, late, late Dan Marino. I didn't catch much of Dan Marino, but I remember him just, you know, tossing the rock around. Cordell Stewart, because he was one of the first yep. guys I remember who could just run, you know, yeah. just like had that athletic ability. And then as right. I got a little bit older, you start getting to like, my early, uh, you know, like right before preteen and then pre and teenage years, mm-hmm. uh, huge Michael Vick fan. I mean, you yep. know, Madden. I mean, you, you couldn't not be a Michael Vick fan. Yep. And then, uh, and then a fifth that that I will go with, man. That that may may surprise some people. Um, and it's not because of the of the UCF affiliation. <laughs> it is because he just was. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Dante Culpepper was almost Cam Newton before Cam Newton, right? Man, what a, what a cannon, right? I mean, and he had his little celebration where he he's yeah, right, rolling, right, off. yeah. So so that that'd be my top five. You got two more left. I got two more. So I'm gonna go with with Matt Hasselback as number four. That's kind of okay. left. but man, okay. I, whatever reason, I really liked him. And he, uh, when I was a kid, he gave me an autograph. So oh, uh, nice. okay. he was super nice. And then number five, Donovan McNabb was also one of my favorite guys i would i i have this like fierce loyalty to these guys so even you know when he was kind of uh at the end of his career with the redskins i'm still pulling off pulling for him same with far when he the, was the washington football team washington football team excuse me <laughs> still messing that up excuse me washington football team. <laughs> um, so anyways uh man that's a that was a fun little exercise thanks for no it. no yeah. yeah dude we'll have to go back and do this with a little bit of thought as yeah. far as college quarterbacks because yeah i used to love watching i mean i the most random college quarterbacks in the world yeah. i can name you know top to bottom but anyhow yeah. before we get get too sidetracked here the college quarterbacks we will be talking about today i will give you the four uh, Steve, you know what? It's a very interesting list you have, you've compiled here, and uh, I'm fully on board. So let's go ahead and, like I said, I'll, I'll give you the four names. Uh, starting off here with Bailey Hockman, you know, who is uh, transferring to Middle Tennessee State. That's recently been announced, uh, formerly of North Carolina State and Florida State. The second quarterback we'll be talking about is going to be Chase Bryce, who spent time at Clemson and Duke, and now it's in the App State. Third quarterback will be a fan favorite, someone who both you and I are huge fans of. And uh, as someone who covers conference for say football, spent a lot of time watching him up front with uh, in, in person, uh, Asher O'Hara, former Middle Tennessee State quarterback. And the fourth one from right around the corner here, or, or um, formerly of right around the corner here at USF, Jordan McLeod. Uh, he's a local Tampa kid, started Plant High School, and uh, 
and a couple years at USF. Now he's in the transfer report as well. So let's go and start with Bailey Hockman, Steve. That's the first name on your list. Definitely intrigued to see uh, what you have on him, especially as someone who's watched as much Conference USA football as I have and kind of where not only the direction that that program is going in, but the offense. You know, a uh, former offensive coordinator, Tony Franklin, uh, retired. Retired from football, at least for till further notice, un- uh, unless, you know, anything changes. Tony Franklin, a uh, you know, veteran offensive coordinator, you know, spent time at Cal and many other places, chosen to retire. So we'll have to see what direction that offense is going to head in as a whole. But your thoughts on Mr. Hockman? Yeah, so I think I – think- uh 2020 was a huge year for Bailey Hockman as far as experience goes he started the majority of the games the Wolfpack in 2020 uh and the prior year I think he had one or two starts uh as he was just replacing the starter uh, who was injured so um I think he showed uh at times more enough uh, excuse me he showed more he, he was more than capable of pushing the ball downfield and kind of spreading spreading the field spreading the offense open the opening the offense up uh and so i think uh talking to some people in you know involved in the middle of tennessee program and kind of uh people that are kind of in, in the know there uh they are are saying that um stock still is kind of looking for someone who is going to be a quote-unquote more pro style guy who can stand the pocket and kind of a little less uh johnny football that that was their term there was that was their quote uh not not ours uh and so bailey hawkman fits that style he, he's not necessarily a athletic quarterback but with that said he can still um he still has enough athleticism where he's going to be able to extend plays and he he actually did that pretty well if you go back and watch some of his some of his film uh he's able to extend plays and, and keep his eyes downfield and, de- and deliver the ball so i think the biggest takeaway is he got plenty of experience in 2020 uh he was right under 65 uh, percent completion percentage he had 16 total touchdowns over 2,000 yards passing and has is bringing valuable experience to the middle tennessee uh quarterback room and, and i'm assuming is probably the favorite to win that job and so i think he's going to be a very good addition at this level but the one thing you probably want to that he probably wants to uh, eliminate in his game is is turnovers. He had and and and, t- and the ten games he played, so not just not the games he started, but the ten games he played, he had uh, a pick in eight of those games, and three of those came against uh, Kentucky. Uh, three of his le- eleven interceptions came against Kentucky in the bowl game. But you still kind of want to see improved ball security. But I think the fact he can push the ball downfield is going to help open up uh, Middle Tennessee's offense, especially if they're going a, a different direction. Uh, as far as uh, a scheme goes and style goes that they've had the past few years. Steve, can I, uh, sorry for just, you know, turning straight into a journalist here. I'm going to ask you a question and I'm not asking you to divulge your source. I I would never do that. However, (laughs) I may, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm trying to be critical here. Brent Stockdale, while not Johnny football, was someone who would use his legs to make plays. Is that a fair assessment? I I, I think, uh, I think yes, hundred percent. Huh. Um, so like I said, I'm not trying to pick on whoever gave you that that quote, right? Yeah. I, it just doesn't seem to ring. I hope Bailey Hockman has an incredible career at Middle Tennessee State or you know succeeds. Yeah. Um Steve, I mean, like and I, I think that was a quote from Stockstill. Like Stockstill is kind of saying that, you know. That's uh, from from Rick Stockstill. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. For lack of better terms. Fair enough. Okay. So I guess the reason why I'm a little bit befuddled, that's my SAT word of the week for you guys, is even if you look at the offense prior to Ash O'Hara, right, with Brent Stocksville's quarterback, he was someone who 
while maybe not necessarily as much as an improvisational skill, Steve, and you may agree with this, mm-hmm. there may have been, not that Asher didn't have as many design runs, but um, Brent Stockstill was still someone who was going to look to get out of the pocket and make plays with his leg. Especially towards the end of, especially at the end of his career when his, uh, you know, the, the arm string was just lacking, you know, I, I agree. Right, right. So I guess, the, you know, it's the, the curious quote aside, that's something that we'll have to take a look at. I guess my major thing is this. And unless they're going to retool the entire offense as a whole, right? Not just as a uh, a philosophy, but the entire offense. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about, listen, this is a team that hasn't had a steady running game. I'm talking about from the running back position. Since really Itavis Mathers in 2015, I believe, uh, 2015 or 2016, he was a 1,500-yard rusher. And that mm-hmm. was a very prolific year. Uh, Steve, you may remember they had Richie James, Ty Lee, you know, great uh, weapons on the outside. But as someone, again, who covers Conference USA football, yeah. that entire offense is going to have to be restructured, right? So, I mean, even the backs who are there, Jay McDonald, Terrell West, little like kind of scat backs. Guys are going to get out there and kind of make plays in space. Not necessarily someone who are backs who are going to line up and, and give you 25, 30 carries. You haven't had that in a while. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, I'm, I, I apologize if it comes off as I'm just, you know, rather, because this has nothing to do with Bailey Hockman. You know, your assessment is, is is what it is. I just find, you know, that quote in the greater scheme of things rather interesting. So we'll have to see how it, it plays out there. Um, I, I do want to ask you this before we, we transition. Um, I'll put you this way, right? Let's say from what you've seen on film of Bailey Hockman and what you've seen of Middle Tennessee State, if they still have the same issues where they can't run the football consistently, right? No matter what, what they, they change in the offense, if they're mm-hmm. not getting consistent running uh, um, yards out of the backs and the play up from the offensive line is average at best, right? You, you've seen Middle Tennessee State's weapons on the outside. Jimmy right. Marshall, Jaron Pierce. Um, I think they're talented guys, but yeah. none of them are. They're not Ty Lee. They're not Richie James. Right. What do you do? You, do you see anything in Bailey Hockman that says that he can kind of take that situation as is and and make it better? And I know it's a tough ask of someone who hasn't played a lot of football, but just from the the skill set you see of him as a quarterback. You know, I, I I'll, I'll put it this way: I think if they can get the running game, then that's going to make things. Uh, I think if they weren't the running game going and successful, that's going to make things a lot smoother. But I also would put it this way: if they can open up the pass game that could potentially open up the run game some too and I think Hawkman does have that ability and I think it largely depends on Eric did they have they hired their new OC yet do you know if I've not I, I have not seen an offensive hire okay. and so I, I think largely it's going to depend on you know the the OC hire and how he goes about things I think I think the answer is yes he he is talented enough he's a good throw of the football um and he he is athletic enough to uh you know get on the edge and and keep the keep the uh keep the play alive not necessarily gonna be you know beat anyone with with his legs but he can keep the play alive with his legs and he does have a good enough arm especially uh at, at this level to spread the ball around and open uh kind of open up the field so uh, to answer the question I, I think he is talented enough where he can uh help that transition as long as they get the right oc in there Okay. So for fans listening, like I said, I apologize for, you know, kind of that, just throwing that out there. It, it just, you know, it seemed like, put you this way, it seemed like there's a confluence of things there that, with Middle Tennessee State that isn't just a quarterback yeah. thing. So that's why I felt the need to kind of ask those questions. But the next guy up, Chase Bryce. I know this is someone who you like a lot. Um, definitely, certainly a talented guy, especially coming out of high school. He was a three-star recruit. You don't just end up at Clemson, you know, fall off the back of the truck. But unfortunately, you know, for him, there's so many talented guys ahead mm-hmm. of him at Clemson that it's like, all right, 
I got to make a move and go elsewhere. Ended up at Duke. Uh, saw a little bit of playing time. I saw a significant amount of playing time, excuse me. I mean, he was really the primary starter this year. When you look at the numbers, 11 total touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Steve, what do you have on Chase Bryce? Yeah, so I think this was kind of a hard one to evalu- evaluate for the simple fact that the the talent that Bryce was used to at Clemson and then the that, that was around him and then the talent that is around him at Duke, relatively speaking to the talent they're going up against was kind of was kind of hard to evaluate because by by no means was you know he had did he have a, a great season right he his completion percentage was under fifty five he had fifteen interceptions uh, they only won two games so it was obviously not a uh, he and he only had two games um, where his completion percentage was even over sixty and one of those games was was to Miami and that was a forty eight nothing loss so you know it didn't really even matter. Um, However, with that said, he is bringing a ton of experience to to App State, and I think an interesting thing to, to think about uh, from their talent perspective is App State is arguably year in year out. If they're not the most talented team in the Sun Belt, they're always top three. You know, with Louisiana and now, of course, with with Coastal rising. But as far as as far as talent goes, they're, they're always up there. So, relatively speaking, he is going to be surrounded. Um, around a, a, a more talented roster compared to the talent they are playing in the Sun Belt, if that makes sense. Uh, it, it compared to what where he was at in Duke, as far as it was what he, what you see on film is he's not so so. App State has been set at the quarterback position the past six seven years. They've had right. Thomas right. for that Taylor Lamb, right? And so uh, and both those guys were dual threat guys. They could throw the ball, uh, but they are dual threat guys who. who who knew the offense like the back of their hand? Uh, that, that that was something that was always evident with both those guys. They knew their they knew the offense. So Bryce has to come in, learn the offense, and he's not the same style of quarterback as those two guys are. He's not nearly as athletic, but he's more athletic than than people might might think uh, if they just look at the box score. Uh, Duke did run him some, and he similar to Hawkman, he has a, a a good arm, especially at this level. He's going to be able, be able to drive the ball downfield, open open the the, the offense up a little bit, spread the ball out. So. I think it's all about can he come in and learn the offense? App State does have a, a talented guy, uh, Navy Schuler, I believe, is, is the freshman. He was a guy we broke down last year, actually, out of high school. Uh, but besides that, I'm not sure who all they have coming back and who all is going to be in that quarterback battle. But you would think, uh, just because of how talented Bryce is, he, he will is probably going to be the, the, the favorite. Uh, if not the favorite, he'll surely get get a fair shot to take that job. So I think he brings some some awesome qualities that App State can use. And, and it, it, I think if if he can just bounce back from the season last year, which again was not all his fault by any means, uh, then then I think he could be a nice fit at App State. Steve, what does it say to you about a kid who's throwing almost 500 passes in his career? And and you know with the transfer portal. Nowadays, it seems as if, and, and you know, I, I tend to use like the James Morgan example, and it's mainly because I cover FIU, it's just a quick point of reference. But it's not often you get a kid like him who started 19, 20 games and is hitting the portal, right? Usually that guy uh, is competing for a job or is firmly entrenched as a starter. Uh, you seem to, to, it seems as if you see a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of players who either have not played, uh, were beaten out, and have to, ha- have to head elsewhere. Or you kind of get the exact opposite where, you know, hey, for one reason or another, they're, they're transferring. Maybe it's a coaching change or whatever. So when you get a kid like him, like I said, almost 500 passes on film, uh, what type of confidence does that give you? Yeah, I think the the experience is, is the biggest thing. 
that it, it tells me even if it wasn't necessarily the outcome that you wanted from him, I think the fact that he's seen a bunch of different defenses, he's playing the in the ACC, and it's, it's not even so much the 500 passes on film that he has. It's the, okay, he was at Clemson for a few years, and even though he didn't have much playing time there, I don't know if you, if you remember a few years ago when Trevor Lawrence had his first start, he got concussed against uh, Syracuse. Pulled out of the game, and that's all. That was after Kelly Bryant uh, decided to transfer, and so Chase Bryce came in and led them to to win. They barely won twenty seven twenty three, and so I think like like that gives you some glimpse of like okay, like he can be put in a big situation and succeed. Um, and so it's the fact that yes, he's had all those passes and, and, and games, but also man, he's been that Clemson culture for lack of better terms for. Um, for whatever you want to call it, but it's been, no one can argue the success that Clemson has. So he's seen that. And then he's been to Duke and, you know, whatever you want to talk about the culture from Duke, he's seen that perspective, but he's going to an app state culture that, that wins, they expect to win and they expect to, you know, be in the Sunbelt conference title game every year. And so I think that's going to, uh, those, those mindsets are going to mesh. So, uh, I, like I said, I think it's going to be a good fit. I think he can fit in the offense, and I think he can almost, for lack of better terms, resurrect or not resurrect, but just just have have a much better year than he had last year. Yeah, something I find interesting, really. Again, you know, maybe I'm a little biased having just watched Zach Thomas perform in an All Star game, the Tropical Bowl. Is Chase Bryce is six three two forty? Zach Thomas is not right. So right. certainly, if Chase Bryce is going to get that job, he's, it's going to be a stark contrast for the fans there in Boone, North Carolina. The second thing. Uh, really quick, you would, you know, for fans who may not know, you would think, all right, kids played at Clemson, played at Duke, come dropping down. I, I do that with the air quotes, and you can't see me to Appalachian State. But remember, the Sun Belt had a hell of a year this year. Mm-hmm. Louisiana, um, Coastal Carolina, you know, th- there are a lot of teams there in the Sun Belt who, who are improving. So it, it, listen, like, like you mentioned, there's a culture of App State being the you know cream of the crop there at the Sun Belt. So it, it's not going to be like, hey, you're going to get a chance to you know crawl before you walk. Or, or, you know, and I'm sure Steve could appreciates that, you know, as a, as a parent of a newborn, the son. Um, yeah, but you're not going to get a chance to, uh, to do that at App State. So I'll be intrigued to see how it works out. The next quarterback, we may spend, you know, about five, seven minutes here as we've uh, talked about him a ton of podcasts. We're going to take take a little bit of a different approach here, kind of give the listeners somewhat of a, of a new uh, a new analysis. It's a favorite of ours. Asher O'Hara. Uh, Steve, I want to let you take it away and then I'll kind of introduce the listeners as to what we're kind of kind of, you know, bounce off each other here. So yeah. have at it. So I won't spend too, too much time just because he's someone for the past year we've talked about, and like Eric said, one of our favorite quarterbacks to watch, one of the most productive quarterbacks in all of Conference US, in all of college football, to, to be honest, uh, the past two years, especially the 2019 season. And so now he you know is in the transfer portal. And uh, I know we'll get into more qualities and, and, and more things about him and go back and forth here in a second. But I think his the biggest takeaway for me and him in the transfer portal is finding an offensive system that can that his skill set will fit or where the offensive coordinator will adapt his skill set and make uh, his skill set the center I think if that's the case man you can he can have a lot of success wherever he goes uh, if that OC uh, can kind of mesh uh, the system with with Asher's uh, skill set I'll say this and I'm going to kind of you know go back to something you mentioned in terms of our Bailey Hockman analysis to pull it back to Asher O'Hara when it's all said and done, and again, this is the journalist talking to me. This is not any you know X's and O's analysis. I think it'll be interesting to see what Middle Tennessee's offense looks like this year without Asher Hara, without Tony Franklin. Yeah, it 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 almost feels. And again, this is I don't want to get too much into speculation, but you want. I feel like this will be a good test to see if 
that was just kind of a situation where you had a quarterback whose skill sets and his style of play just didn't mesh with where the, you know, they were trying to go as an offense as a whole. I'm not necessarily referring to Tony Franklin as much as I am Rick Stock still. So it'll be intriguing to see how that plays out. But what we're going to do with Asher, like I said, we've talked about a lot on the podcast. We're going to do a little good cop, bad cop. As a journalist, I will take the bad cop. Steve is naturally the optimist. He's the quarterback. He'll take the good cop, right? Steve, when you watch Asher O'Hara on film, yeah. we've talked about his skill set at nauseum, right? The things he does and this, that, and the other. What gives you the confidence in your mind that he can succeed um, in, in whatever offensive you know fit that you may feel work for him? Just what have you seen from him that gives you that confidence that he can, he can succeed? I think the fact that he's succeeded at every level from obviously high school, the Juco level, and then coming to mid 10 and kind of being a, an undersized quarterback and then having a huge season in 2019. I think all he has done is suck, is succeed. Even if the, the team necessarily hasn't had the results they wanted. I don't think that's a reflection of Asher. I think it's a reflection of the team and, and other circumstances that go into in that situation. But I think if I think his numbers truly speak for himself. And if you go back and you just kind of look at the overall offensive production, Asher uh, is—he's—he's he's the reason behind the majority of all the offensive production, not just passing, but rushing and, and touchdown scores. So it's—it's—it if you take Asher out of the equation of Middle Tennessee the past two years, the those the wins they had are, are probably losses. Um, so I, I, I think I think his production so far at every level kind of speaks for itself right there. All right. So I'll go into my bad cop stuff and I will ask you these questions. Right. So the games and, and I want to try to present this in a way for our audience that even though you're not watching the same film that I am, I'm going to try to explain it in a way that, you know, you guys can maybe paint that picture in your head. Right. So one, the game that I chose to look at uh, was one that I covered personally is uh, Ashley's game against FIU of 2020. Middle Tennessee fell down early in that game. You know, I believe they're down at 1.2 scores to FIU. And one of the things it forced was, you know, Middle Tennessee State to throw the football. And you can argue whether or not how you feel about Asher O'Hara's, you know, performance as quote unquote a passer. The numbers bear out that, you know, he threw for over 2,500 yards uh, in 2019, shade over 2,000 in 2020. But one of the things that, to be honest, concerned me was it almost felt at times as if, he felt like he had to make every play. And you can attest this as a quarterback. Sometimes a good play is throwing the football out of bounds. Uh, I've heard Butch Davis say this. Hey, you don't have to hold on to the football all the time. You don't got to try to force it up there. Throw it in the crowd. Throw it to me. I don't care. But let's live to fight another down. My question for you, this is Steve. My question to you, Steve, is this. <laughs> um, does that almost, for lack of a better phrase, neuter him as a player in that he has that capability to make something out of nothing at all times that do you think if he goes to let's say there's a power five team right and that's going to be his fit do you think if you say to him hey sometimes you just eat it you know and throw the football out of bounds uh what's the risk reward ratio there what's the trade-off there when you, you present that example with him from what you see on film yeah man that, that is a really good question um because i do think when you saw him make mistakes it was just trying to do too much. And I think that was the simple fact that that was kind of the only option. So in that, in, in, in that situation, I think you take it. I think you have him kind of risk it every time because if he doesn't or didn't risk it, the, the chances of success were, uh, were not very high. Now, if he goes to a different situation um, and they have uh, maybe a different 
skill set around him or different thought process and, and just in general, then I think that will probably behoove him to be like, you know, whatever happens, I'm out and breaking, I'm outside the pocket. Uh, I'm looking to run There's someone in front of me. I can maybe fit this pass or I can throw it away and, and, and you know, try for second down. I think that probably behooves him now to throw it away and, and let's get back to it. Um, I also don't think it helped that, you know, the, the, the defense of Middle Tennessee, you know, wasn't necessarily the, the their strongest unit either. And so they had to put up some points for the games that they were going to win. So long, long kind of answer, long-winded answer to kind of cut down and make it short is the situation at Middle Tennessee, he had, it, it did behoove him to take those risks and take those chances. And if he goes into a different situation, situation, then chances are, you know, maybe it will behoove him not to take those chances because it might be a little better fit uh, and he might have a better skill set around him that won't require him to have to take all those chances uh, just for them to have a chance to win the game. Steve, you're naturally a positive guy, so I want to frame this in a positive sense and not a negative sense. Yeah. Uh, I sent you a couple plays earlier today, uh, Asher O'Hara versus Zone mm-hmm. against FIU. Mm-hmm. Two picks, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that, you know, the only time FIU played Zone was those two plays, but two of his interceptions came against Zone, whereas the game-winning TD – and it was a hell of a throw on his part and, and a great route by the, the receiver. I well, want to say it was Yusuf Ali. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was against Mann. What did you see on film uh, from the film I sent you, Asher Harris, man, uh, going up against man versus zone? And do you think it's one of those things that, you know, maybe just trying to force things, trying to do too much, or you think it's something that you can kind of coach him out of making those mistakes? So I, I think that in, in general, I think Asher has been better against man than against zone for a few reasons and, and just overall his game. So against man, it's very it's, it's easier for an athletic quarterback to make plays. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's easier for things to open up if you're a better athlete. Whenever you're against zone, uh, it might be a little tougher because it, it, they are able to take away that option for you to run at times. And so then you're like, oh. Sometimes it's easy to get flustered, and I'm speaking from personal experience as well, uh, where you, you tr- just try to fit a ball in. And you know, zone is also the zones can also be a little bit more complex and, and a bit tougher to read as well. Whereas man, it's off the bat, depending on who you're watching, depending on on the on the uh, the route, it's easier to tell. Okay, it's man. I got this matchup. There's no up top safety. Like in, like in the game winning touchdown, that was a great read. It was man. The safety wasn't gonna be able to get over in time. Boom, touchdown. Uh, and, and zone, they take away his ability to run, and so now he knows. Okay, I kind of have to pass it. I'm kind of one dimensional now, um, and not that he can't run against zone, but this this it, it just for uh, the sake of the argument. Uh, now he, he's more likely to throw, and so now you have more people uh, in in the uh, kind of kind of dropping back in zone that are defending the pass as opposed to if it's man, there's, there's probably a blitz coming. Uh, there there's someone that uh, there's more space for him to, to to run and navigate. So it opens up his game as a whole against man, especially if you know the guy watching Asher turns and runs or or or, uh, or misses an assignment. So. I think overall, and just for like better athletic quarterbacks in general, man can be easier than zone just in their overall game. There you go. See, you just neutralized one of my questions right there because I was going to ask you a follow up really quick, but I'm glad you touched on that. Uh, one of the things that can be diff- can be difficult is you know from I'll even attest to this for athletic quarterbacks is up against zone. If you're able to get pressure before against zone, uh, you may be SOL in the sense that you know, especially if those if the the passing windows are are, are tight uh, if not non-existent with zone mm-hmm. and you got pressure in your face and i think that's one of the things to bring it back around to a, a quote-unquote positive perspective 
I think that's one of the things that didn't go necessarily accounted for when breaking down the early season struggles of both O'Hara and the Middle Tennessee State offense. If you're not respecting the run, that's running from the running backs itself. And you're playing zone and you're getting pressure on your quarterback. Uh, that leaves you with, with, you know, not much else to kind of go through and make plays. So that could maybe, you know, for, for some people who, who look at him and want to say, hey, he really struggled coming from 2019 to 2020. I think you got to look at it in totality and kind of the big picture. But I want to point those things out because, quite frankly, you know, and, and I, I know Steve is, once again, natural uh, optimist. I'm going to try to be, a, you know, a, a little bit fair here. You, when you got a pick in the red zone, when your team can cash in and score points, and a pick when your team's inside your own 25, those are things that are backbreakers, right? So luckily for Middle Tennessee State, they came back and won that game, but you can argue maybe they're not in the position that they're in if you don't get those picks. I believe FIU scored 10 points off of those turnovers. So with that, let's take it to our final quarterback we're going to look at, and that's Jordan McLeod. Steve, what do you have on him? And I'll kind of hit you with some follow-ups. Yeah, so this was probably the toughest to break down from film. It's hard to get a, necessarily a, a good grasp, and I don't mean this negatively to USF, but they were just so bad uh, just overall this year. I think they – they, no, Steve, you can you can say that the USF was bad anytime you want to on this podcast. It's not going to bother me any. Coming from the, the UC alum over there. Um, but, I mean, you know, it's a result-driven business. And when you go one and seven, and when you lose every every game you lost, you lost by double digits except for one, uh, then I think it's fair to say that they were just a bad team. And so, I, for me, it was hard to get a grasp and to truly know, okay, what's his ceiling? What's his floor? What's his true potential uh j- j- just because there was it was so much up and down and you know it was, it was a, a new coaching system a, a new coach coming in he started the majority of the games this year and last year so it's hard to get a good grasp but here's some things that that are evident he does have some tools he has a good arm he is a good athlete and I think if he you know gets with the right coach and a right coach gets a hold of him and he can develop into a good quarterback now at what level does it look like you know again I don't I don't know the the, the ceiling and floor and the potential of that was, again, hard to grasp. But, again, if he gets with the right coach that can develop him, then I think he definitely has the tools. And it showed against uh, against UCF. Now, we take with a grand salt because UCF's defense was, you know, uh, again, you know, I, I'm usually optimistic. They were just downright hor- horrendous. But, you know, at the end of the day, he he was 32 of 46, over 400 yards, and, and five total touchdowns. Over half his touchdowns this whole season came against UCF. I think he had a total of 10 I believe um and so I think that shows he has the tools again it was hard to kind of uh evaluate completely on film uh but like I said it depends on the right coach and you know I don't know what level he goes to and and I don't know what level he fits best at but again someone to keep an eye on because he did get a lot of starts in 2019 and and 2020 at uh, USF yeah I mean when you look at Jordan McLeod and, and again you talk about the UCF game not only was that defense certainly a, a unit or a group that had their struggles this year. They also had players opt out, <laughs> you know, prior to the beginning of this year. And, you know, at the time that UCF and USF played, four of the defensive players, I believe three starters, had been kicked off the team, you know, a couple weeks prior to that game. So uh, certainly had their own struggles. I'm not trying to dismiss Jordan McLeod's great game. It's just that, you know, in terms of uh, maybe ex- uh, explaining some of the reasons that UCF's defense struggled. But want to ask you this, right? Look at a guy listed at six foot 193 probably a little closer i mean he's still a young kid 20 21 years old so chance he could grow but probably closer to 511 and change ish you know mm-hmm. i know you're you're partial and biased to those smallest quarterbacks but you know this is one of the questions i'd like to ask you arm talent did you see it yeah i think he's got uh 
for the, the 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 level he's at. I think for any level, I think he's got he's got enough arm. He he show he did show uh, he did demonstrate a good arm in, in, in watching film for sure. So the, the arm is there for for most of the throws. In terms of a dual threat, I want to ask you this. You know, one of the things that I found about him, and again, part of this is you know playing at like you mentioned a USF team that's rebuilding. Part of it is you're rushing, you're running for your life. You know, not exactly uh, back there a lot of the times. But I want to ask you in terms of the the athleticism that you saw. I believe his career high in rushing yards is 62, which was set against UConn. So clearly not the most talented defense in the world. Maybe yeah. not the best athletes. Second after that was 56 yards and two scores against South Carolina State. So, and of course, if, I, I, this probably goes without saying, but in in college, sack yards are are accounted. So mm. you know, take, mm. take that for what it is. But here's my 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 bigger point. Um, in terms of a dual threat, right? Like, where does it kind of strike you? I think the biggest thing for me in the time that I'd seen Jordan McLeod is that he looks athletic. And as you said, there's enough arm talent, but not necessarily a like dynamic ability in either one. And I just want to ask you in that sense, kind of what you see there, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think that's a fair assessment, actually. Uh, that's a good way to put it. Um, I also think this though, I think, so he had, you know, nearly 300 yards rushing in 2019. And then that number went down significantly in 2020. I think he's trying to be too much of a quote unquote pocket passer, if you will, as opposed to, Hey dude, you got some legs, like use it, let's do it. Um, and Gary, you know, I don't watch every US play, but I wish they would have gotten him going in the run game a bit more. I wish they made that more of a center of the offense, as opposed to trying to mold him and, and just say, Hey, let's, let's just throw from the pocket. And if you make a play, uh, when a when a guy rushes, great. But let's try to stay in the pocket. So I think maybe uh, I don't know if that was coach or if he was just you know trying to to be more of a pocket quarterback. Um, but I think you know letting that athleticism take over at times is, is huge. I think that will help in the in him in the the passing game as well. So I almost think like yeah, like he just tried too much to to throw from the pocket as opposed to actually get out and, and run a little bit. And, and maybe that was coaching. Who knows? So. Um, I think that's something to look forward to at his next stop is, okay, how are they going to use that athleticism and how are, are they going to implement it uh, in, in the offensive system? Steve, we got a little bit of time here before we wrap this one up. I want to throw a sidebar question at you here. And this is the point that I really think is interesting as we start to get later and later into the not only recruiting process, you know, whether it's the the late signing day, you know, quote unquote, now the late signing day. Right. You know, that was the signing day when we were kids. <laughs> that was time to sign. But now the late signing day. But also you get into the summer. Right. And Steve, I saw a lot of quarterbacks. And I mentioned this on the first podcast but as far as the transfer portal. I look at Max Bornschlager at FIU. There were quarterbacks who didn't get all the the usual things you get in offseason, right? Time to work with your receivers, time to really get that offense, get that coaching. And unfortunately, you know, we're still, it's a work in progress with the, the pandemic and we'll have to see how the circumstances play out, right? Do you, well, I want to ask you this, because I think the, that first question may be a little bit subjective. Um, how realistic is it for some of these quarterbacks to come in, find a home, maybe in the summer, and yeah. not only win over their teammates, but be the guy enough to where they can secure a starting role, right? Does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a ten-second example. Yeah. Even when James Morgan came to FIU, he split reps for the first four or five games, and yeah. his first game against Indiana went, if my memory serves me correct, something like nine of twenty-three, and wasn't a great ball game. So right. it took him time to to settle in there as a starter. So I'll let you have at it there. Yeah, no, that's good. So yeah, obviously, I think 
you know, we, as of today, we have over a hundred quarterbacks in the transfer portal last week. What I say was at 94, maybe. Um, right. And the numbers just keep rising today. Who you, you sent me someone today, Jason Bean from UNT. Jason Bean. Yes. Yeah, so it keeps growing. Uh, so I think the quick, so I think the obvious answer, you know, the quicker these guys find a home, the better. But I think your point is right and your example is right. The people that find their home later, it, not that they can't be successful because I think you still have the ability. It just takes a little bit longer. Like like James Morgan example, Joe Burrow example at LSU, even before his Heisman year, he still had a pretty good year, but, you know, it took him a little bit to get, get in the swing of things. So uh, the more time, the better. I think it will be an interesting – you know, an interesting case study that maybe we could do is just go back and look at these quarterbacks in the past that have transferred and just kind of, okay, plot the success. How many of these guys actually started? How many, you know, uh, started day one? How successful were they? So that might be an, an interesting uh, kind of case study to go back because it's easy for us to think about Justin Field, Jalen Hurts, uh, Joe Burrow. Those are the easy case studies. But what about the majority of guys, you know, like – I don't think that's always the case that they have a ton of success. Um, not to say that, you know, they, they, the people, the quarterbacks and transfer reporter w- won't, uh, but you know, the quicker they can get in the, the better, but maybe we'll do that this before the next podcast, we'll go, we'll, we'll dive in a little bit and, and do a little case study on that. Well, I mean, you know, Steve, I'll give you an example from yeah. my alma mater UCF. Remember Brandon Wimbush? Of course. Yep. Great example. Yep. Brandon, Brandon Wimbush was what? Four star, five star kid. Heck of an athlete. I yep. mean, at Notre Dame, yep. he dropped down. He's he sees Mackenzie Milton's hurt. Yep. Uh, DJ Mac. Uh, don't necessarily know what you have there yet at the point in time which he got there. Yep. Got this kid from Hawaii, uh, Gabriel. I'm not sure what he is, but he's yep. kind of like a smallish guy. Is he ready? Is, is he is he even as talented as as Mackenzie Milton? Right. What do you know? Brandon Wimbush. He's with the program. Not even a full year. Mm-hmm. My memory proved me correct. He had opted out by the time the bowl game came around and, and was pursuing his NFL career. Dylan Gabriel had that job on lock. So it just goes to show you that, you know, it is something that's very subjective. And the reason I want to make that point really quickly is for some of these quarterbacks jumping in there, it's going to take them time, not only to win over their teammates and their staff and the coaching staff, but to get in there and prove and show that they can have success. Right. You don't hit that immediately like that. Who knows how it goes? Right. Really quick, we'll put down this podcast, Steve. Uh, who is this podcast? Where can you, or excuse me, where can you find this podcast online? Yeah, so uh, as always, uh, uh, keep up with the website nfldraftdiamonds.com. You can find them on Twitter at Draft Diamonds. They do a great job uh, promoting kind of smaller school players from FCS, D2, lower D1, all of them. Keep up with them. They do a really good job, and and we are found on their website. They, they put us out each week, so we are really appreciative of them. And uh, like I said, articles come out every day uh, from them, so a lot of good interviews. And, and so just keep up with them at Draft Diamonds on Twitter and then nfldraftdiamonds.com. Appreciate the shout out there. Appreciate what they're doing for the podcast. We appreciate you for listening. Thank you as always for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Any complaints we have with the podcast, send my way. Steve is a rather sensitive guy and he also is a new father. So uh, his leash may be short for uh, for uh, complaints. You can find him on Twitter at Stephen Hamner. And of course, you can find this podcast on Twitter at QB Spotlight. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, everyone. Happy New Year. Hope the 2021 is treating you well and stay tuned for more QB spotlight throughout the off season. Yes.